Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline travel trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. I'm Sabrina with Trailer Talk. Thank you for joining me for this continuing conversation about development and the growing controversy in my county of Sullivan County, New York, and the Catskills that reflects both the issues across the state and the country about unsustainable development, land use, our natural resources, farmland, and the threats to them. In this episode, I'm joined by a returning guest, environmental lawyer, Jennifer Grossman, and New York State lobbyist, Perry Ochacher, who has been retained by Catskill Mountain Keeper. Mountain Keeper is an environmental advocacy organization charged with protecting the Catskill region in New York. In this episode, we are exploring the issue of the proposed future village of Atiras in my neighborhood. Why is the governor exempting it? What can people do? Is what's happening an example of equal treatment under the law? Our experts say no, it is not. We ask, what is sustainable development and why is it vital for a healthy community? What does a sustainable Sullivan County look like? And what does it mean to belong and to live and to have connection to make a home in a place? Perry, please introduce yourself. Perry Ochacher, I'm the president of Willard Public Affairs, which is a New York State-based lobbying and government affairs. Welcome. Jennifer? My name is Jennifer Grossman, and I am an environmental and land use attorney practicing over 30 years in the Catskill region and working directly with Catskill Mountain Keeper on this particular campaign. Thank you. I want to focus on a Terry's, and I'm going to reach out to both of you to share with our listeners what it is. Jennifer, you were just sharing with me that it is a proposed future village. So it's not something that exists yet, but it has been proposed. So yes, you're correct. A Terry's is the proposed name for a proposed village that would straddle the two towns of Fallsburg and Thompson, and it would be comprised of approximately 830 regular inhabitants, children and adults. And this concept of a proposed village is based on something that we have in law called the Village Incorporation Law. And it's been around since the late 1800s. It was established at a time when rural communities were seeing density populations increase and needed to have certain services provided to them. So this law allowed for the incorporation of villages with 500 people minimum, children and adults, and 20% of the folks in that community that were qualified to vote had a right to go to a referendum and vote on the creation of this new village. And again, like any municipal entity, it has the right to tax and bond. It has the requirement to provide sewer and water, police and fire services. So um, it's not to be taken lightly, but again, at the time this was proposed, it was very necessary. However, since the late 1800s, we've really seen a shift in the use of the village incorporation law. The last 20 years, and there's independent research reports from the comptroller's office, from the attorney general's office, um, and also from Pace University Law School, Rockefeller Institute for Government, that has researched this to show that the new villages being created are really for purposes of taking over land use and building codes 
that it is about allowing for different types of density and development within this new municipal entity. So in a way it has become an abused law for purposes not directly associated with providing services that are not otherwise provided because these new villagers are coming out of towns that have ample capacity to provide sewer and water and police and fire. So um, it's really about taking over the control of land use and building development standards by a small group of folks that don't feel the current standards allow them to design and develop their communities in the way they prefer. Thank you, Jennifer. And Perry, if you can continue with that. Yeah, I think it's important to look at the historical perspective, and Jennifer was touching on it in terms of why we have town laws, why we have village laws, why we have municipalities. Municipalities, cities have always been densely populated areas. They've been able to incorporate, they provide a level of service for a, a dense urban core. It could be a large city like New York City. It could be a small city like the city of Rye. Traditionally, going back in history, New York had cities and then New York had towns. Towns tended to be rural areas, agricultural areas where there was not a high demand on services from the local government. They were very sparsely populated and people pretty much took care of themselves and took care of their own uh, needs. And there wasn't a tremendous demand on the municipality itself to provide services. What happened over time is as people in those towns would start clustering in downtown areas, those downtown areas became uh, more populated and needed more services than the town could provide because the town itself wasn't structured to provide a level of service for a dense, a more dense urban core. So those were villages. So what the state of New York did is they created a process by which individuals previously living in towns could say, you know what, we are congregating now in a village, our demands are for municipal services are higher, water, sewer, electrical, police protection, fire. Those services by, by the very structure of a town itself are not being provided. We need, we need a separate municipal structure to provide those services for this dense, more densely packed urban core within the town that will be the village. So traditionally what you'll see in New York, and this is part of all the overlapping layers of government, you have these towns. And then within the towns, you have the, the central urban core, and they've incorporated as villages because they traditionally have needed a, a higher level of services for the inhabitants. So I'm confused. This proposed future village happens to be in between or part of the village of Fallsburg and the village of Thompson. So why would a new village be proposed when they already exist here? I mean, what are the the motivations or the goals, what does this represent? As Perry was describing, it was a critical need for us to have this capacity to create the villages. This particular village, as well as the more recent villages formed, are about taking over control of certain regulations that this community of people don't agree with, it doesn't work with their vision or their planning for their future. So again, the, this antiquated law, which was recently updated, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment, but the antiquated law said 500 people minimum can petition their town to basically secede and create their own village, as again, with their own taxing and bonding authority, controlling all of their building, zoning, any kind of codes, environmental setbacks. Um, so it, it really creates a whole new structure of oversight and authority for land use. Mm -hmm. And the concern 
that we have with the more recent use of this tool to focus only on that, only on saying we want to take over land use and building is because there is often not the proper administrative or fiscal oversight that these villages have capacity to bring to the table to make sure that these types of building codes and, and zoning are, are done correctly. And that there's frankly not a fiscal capacity in terms of a taxing and bonding authority on such a small group of people will likely not be able to raise enough funds to provide the services that are required. And, and that's a really dangerous step to take in municipal design and infrastructure is creating entities that don't have the fiscal or administrative capacity to sustainably exist. And I think a, a simpler way of looking at this is the village law was designed to allow people when they needed a higher level of municipal services to create a village within a town where there was none before with the specific authority to provide those municipal services. The purpose of the village law was not to allow people to circumvent local land use regulations because they are not getting the results that they want to get when they are going through the land use process within a current town or a current village. And that's what's changed here. What's changed is some folks along the way, and by the way, this is a statewide issue. This is not a Sullivan County specific issue. And the law that the governor signed in December, which we'll get into in a minute, it's a statewide law. It applies throughout the state, not just within Sullivan County. What the governor was saying in signing that law was, look, this antiquated law is making it too easy to incorporate as a village. And the consequence of that is certain individuals who are doing it solely for the purpose, as I had said, of circumventing local land use regulations are hijacking the law in a sense to be able to proceed with land use and development projects that they otherwise would probably not be able to proceed with under their existing municipal structure where they are currently located. Absolutely. Thank you, Perry and Jennifer. What are you drawing from as well as precedents that have happened in New York State that inform the stance that you're both taking about a proposed village of Terry's to reach out to electeds and constituents in the community to really raise the alarm? There have been numerous instances of village incorporations, kind of as example number one, where a village was incorporated and they subsequently realized they did not have the resources to continue to maintain that village. So those villages have subsequently dissolved. So I think the first thing that the state was seeing was an uptick in the number of village incorporations for whatever reason. And I can't cite each one specifically. I can cite the three that are presently occurring right now. But those most recent examples were, I think, evidence of the state that, hey, it's a little too easy to incorporate as a village. And what we're seeing is these plans are backfiring throughout the state. They don't have the resources to maintain a separate independent municipal entity. And, and many of these villages have subsequently dissolved. So I think that's what the first thing that put in legislators' minds, which something people are trying to incorporate too easily. So what the legislators decided, the state legislature decided a few, several years ago is, look, we need to study this issue. What's going on in New York? Why are we getting not only an increased level of individuals petitioning to become a village, but seemingly being able to do it so easily? And then many of these villages failing, what's going on? So current majority leader of the Senate, Andrea Stewart-Cousins, ordered a study 
on the village incorporation process. And it was a very lengthy study. It was conducted by uh, the Pace Law Center, which is a very respected uh, division of uh, Pace University Law School that focuses strictly on land use and development matters. And they looked at the, the village incorporation process in New York compared to the village incorporation process in other states. And they came to one very striking conclusion, which is, wow, your laws in New York are just very outdated. It's too easy to incorporate as a village in New York. And there's no independent fiscal review or review on services or review on the taxation implications of creating a village. This is not 1850 anymore, where the demands of a new village are not as substantial as they are now, just based on what people need and technology and police and fire and all this. So the study came back and said, New York, you know, get with the program. Other states over time have have reformed and updated their village incorporation laws to make sure that a village A is incorporating for the right reason, and then B has the resources to continue. So in a couple of years, it's not dissolving and then leaving its debts to the surrounding towns from which it had originally seceded. So that is kind of historically what put it on the radar of state legislators. And then most recently, there are at least three instances in the state of individuals trying to incorporate as villages, which is really what put it front and center kind of as, as, as the issue that's that's garnering attention today. One is in Sullivan County, one is in Westchester County, one is in is in Orange County. And so that's kind of where we are and, and how we've gotten here historically. I don't know if Jennifer wants to add to that. And then we could talk about, okay, the state recognized there was a problem. Then what was the legislation that was introduced? What was passed? What did the governor sign into law? And then what are these crazy things called chapter amendments that are pending out here now that seem to be changing the game for some of these projects? That would be great. I also want to add as somebody who's not an expert, I want to know, well, when we're talking about land use, so you brought up the economic side of it or a kind of inability to be fiscally responsible in some cases. There's also land use, so it seems to then open the door to control a kind of development that could be considered reckless, unsustainable, that could threaten water, air, uh, agricultural land use, etc. And this is something, Jennifer, we spoke about in another trailer talk. I want to connect those dots for us so we understand the implications. It's complicated legally, and there are a lot of pieces happening from Governor Hochul to us here, for instance, in Sullivan County on the local level. And just in this last week, so much has happened with the Ateri's proposal and vote. And it would be good, though, to understand why this matters for a community. So as Perry mentioned, and very clearly that there has been a historic use of this minimal review level of, of a village law to create new villages without the proper evaluation of the sustainability of this new entity. Why is that important? Well, for some of those and, and, and a few that have dissolved recently, it puts a greater burden on the towns that they've seceded from because the towns now need to make up for a whole new infrastructure that's been created with a new village board or a village planning board, a village zoning board. So there's a huge amount of infrastructure that the town would have to cover and carry. We also know that some of the more recent successful village incorporations resulted in communities that exist at 40 to 60% of the poverty level. 
and that they are reliant on state and federal welfare programs. So again, it's just not wise fiscal municipal structure to design or even allow something to go through that has not yet proven that it has a capacity to sustain itself and its community in a safe, healthy, and environmentally sound way. So again, this incredible report from the Pace University Land Use Law Center showed that there was significant enough concern um, tracked this over the last 20 years. And that was also tracked at the same time that the legislature was trying to update this law. So for 20 years, the assembly and the Senate in New York state have been trying to amend this outdated village incorporation law. This was the first time in June of 2023 that the assembly and the Senate cross party lines, Democrats and Republicans passed their bills that would update this antiquated village law. Let me give you a quick hypothetical, though, just so for people listening, they understand what's at stake from you know a land use control perspective. You have, let's say, the town of Alpha, and then you have a developer or a group of individuals who have a proposal to build something in the town of Alpha. That proposal will not satisfy current zoning requirements. It doesn't, it doesn't comply. It could be density. It could be height. It could be any number of things. So they're going to the planning board in town alpha, they're going to the zoning board in town alpha, and they're getting denied, not for any nefarious reason other than you don't meet the requirements as established in our local zoning code, in our local land use code. At some point, those folks, those developers, those that those communities recognize, hey, there is a way we can circumvent this now. Guess what? We're not getting the result we want from the town of Alpha. Well, wait a minute. What if we incorporated as the village of Beta and we were successful and now we are the village of Beta and guess what we can do? We can create the village of Beta planning board and the village of Beta zoning board. And now when this proposal from this same developer comes before the village of Beta, it is now approved. So that's the situation that we're, we're looking at here. And this is how the village incorporation process is being hijacked for purposes of assisting developments that otherwise would not pass muster under existing town land use regulations. So that's- And, and town land use regulations, that's a home rule. That is a time-honored tradition that the authority to manage land use is not the state of New York or the federal government, it's the municipal structure. And that type of review and analysis is subject to multiple boards, to a public constituency. There's research and, and professionals hired. It takes years, if not decades, to create strong town municipal home rule land use laws. It doesn't happen overnight. This is a workaround. This has been a workaround right. for home rule. Right, and now let me quickly summarize the legislation. And then, so what happened was the legislature realized that this is, we need to, update the law. They were not specifically targeting any one community. This was statewide. And that's what they did. So in December, the governor signed into law, two laws actually, which would increase increase the population requirement for a new village, no longer 500 people, would have to be 2,000 people, and also created an independent review commission to make sure that a village will be self-sustaining. That was very important. We were all very happy that that happened. Subsequent to that, the governor introduced what are known as chapter amendments, which are really nothing more than amendments to the law she signed previously. In those chapter amendments, for various reasons, which we probably don't have time to go into here, but that falls into the realm of politics, she decided to exempt certain projects from the new law. One of those was the Village of Atira's petition. 
Another was a petition that's pending in Westchester County. And then she went and actually subjected the new law to a third petition um, and didn't provide any exemption there at all. So there's a whole other conversation about, well, why did the situation evolve the way it did? What's happening politically that this should happen? But the fact remains that the village of Atira's petition was carved out in these chapter amendments. In other words, the governor is saying, all this good stuff I did in reforming the process in December, hey, village of Atira's petition, this does not apply to you. So the reason you just had an election in the village of Atira's is that election was scheduled prior to the governor signing this new law. Um, and in essence, and there's a whole other conversation we could have here, the legal history and what happened there. But the bottom line is, even though the two towns dis felt that the election would have been inappropriate because of the fact that the chapter amendments, which exempt the village of Atiris, had not actually been enacted yet, they were forced by court order to go ahead with the election last week. And the judge essentially said, even though we had the election, we have to put this in abeyance pending the ultimate determination of the chapter amendment. If the chapter amendments are signed into law, as I expect they may be as soon as next week, the village of Ateras will have an exemption. The governor will have said, essentially, I've reformed the law with respect to every other area of the state going forward, but I've created a carve-out for the village of Ateras. I've created a slightly different carve-out for folks in Edgemont, proposed village of Edgemont, and that is kind of where we are in terms of the state of the law and these and these two chapter amendments that were introduced after the beginning of the year. Perry, thank you. Of course, my heart is racing welcome, now. Welcome to politics in New York. <laughs> yes, this concerns me. And I know many people in Sullivan County are concerned for, for many of the reasons you have both just shared with us. So is there anything the residents of Sullivan County can do, the constituents of these electeds? here locally. People, what, what are the next steps? If people are concerned with the fact that the village of Atira's petition has been carved out under the chapter amendments, they can contact their state legislators, specifically their members of the assembly, as soon as possible, and register their concerns with them. The bill passed the Senate. It's pending in the assembly. It's actually on an agenda this week. And if people feel like it is inappropriate to exempt the village of Atiras, they should get in touch with their state legislators on the assembly side and let them know that. That's probably the most effective thing that can well, happen immediately. And this would be in Sullivan, Assemblymember Aileen Gunther. It would be, but it would be appropriate to reach out to any member of the assembly. I mean, obviously, you'd want to start with the local members, but every member of the assembly is going to have a vote on this, how much attention they'll be paying remains to be seen. There's lots of bills that pass through the legislature. But if we could just raise consciousness, what are we asking for in the end? All we're asking for is equal treatment under the law. Apply the same standard to the village of Atiris that you are applying to any other group of individuals who would be coming forward at this point to try and create a village, to try and incorporate. That's all we're asking for. This is actually not an issue where we're taking a stand for or against the Atira's proposal. All we're saying is we worked very hard for this wonderful improvement in the law in December. Apply it fairly to everyone. No carve-outs, no exemptions. That's all That's all we're asking. But the two chapter amendments provide a carve-out, provide an exemption for the village of Atira's petition. Thank you, Perry. Uh, Jennifer? It's critical to, to understand, again, this inconsistent application of the law, why that's so troubling. It is equal protection of the law. It's also, again, the fiscal risks 
of allowing an organization, and this, the Yateris community is not a wealthy community. There is not a capacity that has yet been identified to really sustainably create a management infrastructure to oversee everything that a village has to oversee. So even with a carve out, and the carve out means there's 500 is the minimum for a terrace, where the rest of the state is now subject to 1500. Just an FYI, 3600 is the average size of a village in New York State. So we're still allowing villages to be created at less than half of the average. This is now a significant reduction in the minimal amount. So that's 500. But it also exempts a terrace from a fiscal review, again, which any wise government management would require that that type of thing be done. If you were running a business, you're going to come up with a PL statement. You're going to have a five-year forecast. You're going to have an understanding of your administrative staff and your, your other expenses and infrastructure needs. None of that's been done. That's just common um, sort of rational, responsible government. And the last thing is, as Perry said, this independent Village Incorporation Commission, comprised of the Department of State, the Attorney General's Office, the Comptroller's Office, takes this burden off of our town supervisors. The town supervisors of Thompson and Fallsburg had no support to evaluate the petition that was before them. They had to just do a technical review. They will be the ones burdened if this village fails fiscally. The towns of Thompson and, and Fallsburg and the taxpayers will feel this if a terrorist fails. At a bare minimum, a fiscal review needs to be done. And none of this was required under the old law. And this is what the December law that the governor enacted does. It requires an independent review of any proposed village incorporation. Harry, why you're on board with this, why you're, you do what you do. I mean, first and foremost, I'm a, I have a lobbying firm and I was retained by Catskill Mountain Keeper. So uh, they presented to me their issue and their goals, and I was retained to help them achieve those goals. I happen to personally also believe in the cause. And on a personal level, I feel like what they are asking for is reasonable and appropriate, but I am not a local activist. I'm not someone who's directly impacted by what's happening in Sullivan County. I am a, you know, professional and I was retained to help Catskill Mountain Keeper with the legislative process and also achieve their goals, which is again, you know, just this fair and equitable review of uh, all pending corporation petitions. Thank you, Perry. Jennifer. This strikes me as something very important personally and professionally, because I, I believe we are undervaluing one of our most valuable assets in the Catskills by allowing these types of projects to go through our natural resource base. There is no other resource that has as strong a um, an economic value as well as a physical, visceral, emotional value, but it's short-sighted to not understand and protect the natural finite assets that you have. And this type of a village infrastructure, knowing the intention is to thwart very well-founded building and zoning codes, puts those undervalued assets at risk. So anything that puts at risk these incredibly, again, not uh, recoverable, you know, once they're gone, we don't get it back. Those types of, of resources, we really need to make sure that we gather our as much energy, political, legislative, legal, 
um, grassroots, all of that energy to bring to the table to make sure that we can establish a sustainable infrastructure for land use and management. Thank you, Jennifer and Perry, for this conversation. I know there's so much more to talk about. This is such an important issue for both where we live, Jennifer, and also for for the state and, of course, beyond. But this is something that's very present for us in in this moment. Thank you both so much. You're welcome. Good to Thank be here. Thank you so much. I've been speaking with Jennifer Grossman, an environmental attorney based in Sullivan County, New York, who is working on land use issues. We were discussing the proposed village of Atiras. And also, I've been speaking with Harry Ochacher, who is the president of Willett Public Affairs, a New York state-based lobbying firm. And if you're concerned, remember that the most important thing is to reach out to your own assembly member and then reach out to other assembly members about the chapter amendments and the carve-out for the proposed village of Atiris. From the kitchen table, out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artell. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artell's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artell. For more information, please visit trailertalk.net. Special thanks to WJFF Radio Catskill and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make Trailer Talk possible. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artell. Safe travels. <laughs>